You want to know who God's seeking to worship him? There's a picture of it right there. A guy who can set aside the worst things that have happened in the natural realm and say, but God is good and he's bigger and better than all of that anyway. Something that pleases the Lord is the praise and worship that flows from a sincere heart. But just as clear in scripture is that the Lord is very displeased by those whose worship is insincere, those whose religious activities may look good, but whose lives contradict their profession of love to God. So today we want to look at the contrast between true and vain worship, and we look at the implications of each of those types of worship in our lives. And so today I hope that you'll see when we're living lives that overflow into worship that we're simply living the normal Christian life and that anything else leaves us missing out on the joys of a vibrant relationship with God. Thanks for joining me today on Purity for Life. Before we get into discussing the contrast between true and false worship, I want to play an interview with director of at-home programs, Jordan Yoshimine. It's from our 2019 series, Freedom from Porn, and in it, he discusses how God can really use worship to help men gain freedom from sexual sin. Specifically, he hones in on what that looks like in our nine-month residential program. Now, worship just might be the least practical-sounding answer for porn addiction, and if you came up to me and asked, how will your program help me gain freedom, if I told you that while you're here, our worship services will play a pivotal role in that, you might laugh at me, but it's true. And what you're going to hear from Jordan are attitudes and spiritual graces that mark the heart of someone who loves God, and it's when these permeate our worship that change comes about. And I hope you'll walk away from today's episode desiring more of those graces in your own life. Jordan, I asked you to come in today to talk to our listeners about the value of worship and the role that worship plays in helping a man gain freedom from addiction to pornography and to sexual sin. And you've been here at Pure Life for some years now, and Like all of our staff, you came through the residential program as a student. Uh, You have your own testimony about how the Lord used worship in your life. Now you're assistant director of counseling. You see firsthand the changes in men's lives as they encounter God in worship. In the lives of your own counselees, they tell you how God met them in worship services. Besides all that, your seat during worship services is on the platform, and so you have the distinct advantage of being able to see what's going on in the men during the worship services, and I think all this qualifies you in a unique way to speak about the role of worship in the lives of men seeking freedom from bondage to habitual sin. So talk to me, if you would, please, about what you've experienced and what you regularly see, how does God use worship in the lives of our men? Yeah, I 
was an interesting topic when you emailed me about uh, doing a podcast regarding worship. Uh, my immediate thoughts went to worship in the church, worship uh, as evidence in the church today. And I was uh, grieved, I guess, a little bit on kind of what I had experienced before I came to Pure Life as far as worship was concerned. And so um, worship at Pure Life Ministries, I believe, is what the Lord really intended for worship to be as far as worship, meaning the singing of praise music, uh, the testifying of uh, different people, members of the body uh, during that worship service. And it really kind of transformed my thinking about what singing praise songs and worship songs and testifying during a worship services or uh, people sharing short testimonies. Um, It really is... uh, been a revelation to me. Jordan, I see you've opened your Bible. Was there a passage of Scripture that you wanted to share with us today? We're, we're, we're biblical counselors, and so we're going to preach from the Word. So if I did not use a Scripture in defining uh, kind of what worship services are like at Pure Life, I would be doing uh, the Lord a disservice, and I wouldn't be anchoring it in anything. I would just kind of be my own opinion. Mm-hmm. You'd be hearing my own opinion. So I'm going to anchor it in the Word and then and then kind of describe kind of what I've seen. So it's Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man with unclean lips, for I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. I mean, powerful, right? I mean, just just amazing. And that uh, passage really describes uh, one of the aspects of what happens during worship and what I believe the church um, is really intended for, so, uh, music, worship, and services. If you have a walk with God during the week, if you are seeking the Lord as our students are, they're required to spend 15 minutes in word, 15 minutes in prayer. They have homework. They are in Bible studies. They are in prayer groups. So they are in and and they're at Pure Life, which is in itself the place is full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right. So throughout the week, they are immersed in the Word. They're immersed in prayer. They are practicing the presence of the Lord throughout the week. 
So when they come to service, their heart is kind of, you know, the, the pump is primed, right? So to speak, right? You know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when a song comes up that is kind of like this passage is saying, where they're being confronted with um, with the holiness of the Lord, we're singing songs about the holiness of the Lord. Man, the Lord has an, a, a tremendous opportunity to use that song for a man to see, wow, this is how holy the Lord is, and this is my condition. This is who I am before a holy God. Man, boom, repentance, boom. You know, just this undoing of the self-life. However, that would not be possible if the man was not inundating himself, immersing himself in the Word, in prayer, and all those things throughout the, uh, throughout the week. So if you look at the church today, music and worship, praise songs have become entertainment. Yeah. Right? So that's not what the Lord intended. Number one, he intended worship to glorify himself, to bring glory to himself. But for us here at Pure Life, we're seeing the effect that a godly life, someone who's who's walking with the Lord, comes into service, sings a song, hears the song, the Holy Spirit comes through the song and does a work, a deep, deep work in bringing a man to repentance or bringing shedding light on uh, just how merciful the Lord is Mm -hmm. or his holiness or his lowliness, his character. One of the things that we pray for, and I know that this is part of your testimony. I know you've seen it in the lives of your men. We pray all the time that men will get a sight of God, that men will get a sight of Jesus, that men will get a sight of the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. And we're always praying that men will get a heavenly sight. Mm -hmm. How have you seen this uh, come true for you or for your men? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was taking notes and I was thinking, uh, interesting the Lord, how the Lord will use something that happened while I was in the program and it's just stored away and and I've shared it with a few people but really it was I know where I was sitting in the chapel I know the song the song was called knowing you mm-hmm. and as I was singing the song the the part last part of the chorus says and I love you Lord and I just started weeping because for the first time in my life, that meant something mm. that truly I, I could say without any hesitation that from the bottom of my heart, that was true. I truly loved the Lord. And um, that was a revelation. It was a revelation of where I had been and where I was now in that moment. And every time I hear that song, I am reminded again uh, how worship affects you. You know, you you sing some songs over a period of time, and what ha- has happened with that song now is a spirit. What the Lord does with that song is a spirit of gratitude. Yeah. Man, it's just like man. I listen to that song. I sing that song, and I'm so grateful for that 
moment in time where the Lord revealed himself to me and said, Jordan, you really do love me. This is actually true in your life. And you can actually sing this with deep conviction and love for me. And man, it's just worship is amazing. And it does, when you are walking with the Lord and singing in the Spirit in an environment where the Holy Spirit is present, there is nothing like worship uh, to the Lord. Um, and then what the Lord is doing inside of you and giving you, like you said, that sight of who he is. His holiness, I think, is here in our chapel. We sing a lot about God, mm-hmm. about his holiness, not what God does for us, but really his character. And I really believe that those songs, the ch- songs we choose, really allow the students to really see his holiness. Just, I mean— that is it. When we see God's holiness, we see ourselves before a holy God. And when we see ourselves before a holy God, we see ourselves rightly. Yes. And and we're saying, man, I am, you know, I am a man with unclean lips. Mm-hmm. I am a wretch. I am a sinner and in need of repentance. And so a lot of times during a worship service, you see men— because I'm up on the platform, as you said, you see men become undone. They're singing a song and they begin weeping. And and then you see them. And then an altar call comes. That same man comes up to the altar again in tears. And you see him on campus the next week, the next month, and he's a different person. Yeah. But it was that song, again, all the stuff that led up to that service that happens throughout the week. That brings, and then a song, God will use a song or someone testifying as a form of worship. And that man is just, the Lord uses all of that together. And the culmination is that song, that form of worship where he's singing. I don't know. Music has that effect sure. on people, right? Where it really does something, it goes into people and uh, they get a sight and they're, that's it. They're done. One of the things that we teach, of course, right out of the scripture, is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit leads to a uh, godly sorrow mm-hmm. as opposed to the worldly sorrow that mm-hmm. they came in with, and that godly sorrow leads to repentance, mm-hmm. and repentance is the change that God is looking for. Yeah. Now, often that happens in the context of a worship service, and we get to see it unfold right before our eyes. Yeah, it's... it's um... Yeah, it's, I mean, it really is an immense privilege. Um, you know, because, Jim, I mean, realistically, you've been in ministry for how many years, decades? Mm-hmm. And me growing up in the church um, and not having witnessed this on a weekly basis, you know, we get to see that every week. Right. Every twice a week services, and then you know Friday night services, um, even an accountability. You know some of our Bible studies. The Lord, when we were playing worship music or, or whatever. Man, it is it is such a privilege to see men come to the end of themselves and into a, a walk with the Lord. And it's as, as simple as a song, and as simple as a phrase from a song. You know. Um, especially when we sing choruses and you sing them two or three times, that third chorus, 
you know, that's when it, the spirit really hits a person and the, the reality of what that chorus says, um, you know, you're my all, you're the best, you're my all, my righteousness, mm-hmm. and I love you, God. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing, right? I mean, that for me, just that did it, that undid me. Um, you know, you can, Revelation song, you know, there's just so many different songs that just, in Christ alone, I mean, just have had a tremendous impact on me. And it is such a privilege to to see men come into uh, saving faith through, yeah. through worship, through worship songs, even before, I mean, honestly, our, our songs are before the sermon. And so it had nothing to do with what the pastor even said. Right. It's, it's just the Holy Spirit and using worship as a form of bringing a person into, into the kingdom. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Well, going back to our passage in Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord in light of his holiness. He is undone. He sees his uncleanness, his total depravity. But God didn't just show him his sin to leave him there. That's right. What happened after that? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing how um, God will use whatever means uh, possible in order to bring us to a place where we surrender our lives to yeah. him. And um, when we get a sight of the Lord, and here's the thing, worship, we're just talking about one way that the Lord will do this. He does it in multiple other ways uh, here at the ministry and, in, and throughout the world. Uh, miracles or in the quietness of someone's room, uh, he brings us all to that place, whatever the means, to a place where we see our depravity and we see our need. And and that's exactly what happened to Isaiah. I am a man with unclean lips, but God doesn't leave us there. He, he wants us to admit that. He does. He mm-hmm. requires us to admit we are sinners. We are destitute without you. But then he comes in in his mercy uh, and just says, okay, here you are now cleansed. by And really, for us, in the new covenant, it's the blood of the Lamb. That's right. And we're forgiven, forgiven of our sins, our sins as far as— uh, as the east is from the west, so our transgressions are removed from us. Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new thing, something new. A new creation has come. Um, we're dead. We're dead to our old selves. We're uh, uh, John three. Nicodemus, uh, born. We are born, truly born again. But it takes that sight of the Lord. That first part of Isaiah. We need to have that side of the Lord and see who we are before our holy God. And that's exactly what happened to Isaiah. He saw God's perfect holiness and who he was before a holy God. And he was he saw it was like, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm a sinner. There's I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I don't even deserve and God in his mercy said, Yeah, I come. Wow, what a amazing God. I come and I'm I'm offering you forgiveness and cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. But now there's a responsibility, right? We, he's just not going to leave us there. 
All right, after his purification, after his sin was atoned for, he overheard God saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Talk to me about Isaiah's response. Yeah, we're called. You know, he asks us, okay, you know, what are we going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? And it's it's a call. It's, it is Matthew 28. Mm-hmm. It is kind of in, in line with that. And he says, whom shall I send, right? Okay, you, you've, you've come into something. What are you going to do with it? And, and Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And I think that was a, actually a theme for one of our conferences, but it is true. It is a call. Okay, I've seen what you've done for me, Lord. Now I want to return that mercy that you've given to me and go out and make disciples of all nations to multiply. Uh, God's mercy, God's saving faith is not ever for us alone. It's it's for us to multiply, to go out and and do the same for others in our homes with our mar- with our wives, with our children, with our churches, with our community, uh, with our country, with this world. And and especially in these days and times, uh, the call is going out. Uh, and I think a little bit, and I don't know if this is going to make the cut, but, um, but I think the focus in our ministry has always been discipleship, always been discipleship. That has been the benchmark or the one of the pillars. But it's there's a sense of urgency, I think, now with the staff that we are living in perilous times. And we, you know, this isn't just about bringing a man into faith. It is this call yeah. into, okay, you, you know, talking to guys as, as they're getting ready to graduate. You know, you have a call on your life and, and a call to, to minister God's mercy uh, to others. And so what does that look like? Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I really do believe uh, more now than ever, God's call is, 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 is shouting a little uh, louder uh, at Pure Life Ministries for sure. It's a great passage of scripture, but thank you for showing us how this happens in um, the lives of our men and how it happened in your life as well. Thanks for coming in today. In one of our recent three-hour worship services, Pastor Ed really wanted to teach the men in our program what it means to worship God in the right spirit, from a true heart. We've split that talk today into four short pieces so that we can pause at each one and reflect more closely on the lessons of each biblical character that he highlights. To set the stage for his talk, he felt the need to address qualities of insincere worship first. So these first two parts look at biblical examples of men who were not sincere in their devotion to God and how that carried over into their religious activities and God's reaction to their worship. Now, his examples focus on those who are not right with the Lord, but that doesn't mean that those of us who do love God, who do worship Him sincerely, can't find an encouragement to examine our hearts and let God root out of us the things that are still hindering us from knowing Him in a deeper way. We see really two pictures of uh, worship in Scripture. Um, Scripture talks to us about vain worship, and we see that 
that phrasing even comes out of Matthew 15 in verses 8 and 9, where Jesus is speaking here to some scribes and Pharisees, and you can imagine he's not well pleased with what's happening. <laughs> Uh, and his words to them are, um, in verse 7, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Wow. It, you know, just think about our own lives a little bit in that passage, right? These people. They say things out of their mouth, you know, they honor God with their lips, but they keep their heart closed off, shielded, far away from God. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And of course, you know, teaching doctrines as commandments uh, it's just one way to worship God in vain. I was kind of asking myself, like, what are some other examples in Scripture of vain worship? And I just pictures and memories of, of things in Scripture started to, to pop into my head. You know, the one that really stood out at first was the golden calf, where the Israelites are there. You know, Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God face to face. <laughs> and these people are down there worshiping some golden calf like it's God. It's astonishing the contrast between what's happening up on the mountain and what's happening at the bottom of the mountain. And as a result of that vain worship, 3,000 of them had to be put to death by their own brethren that day. And you have that scene where Aaron's sons, the priest's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered the strange fire on the altar, right? And what happened when they worshiped with strange fire? The fire came out of the altar and consumed them. They're gone, they're dead. And Aaron was told, don't even mourn for them. They're just gone. Their vain worship cost them their lives instantly. You know, what if God had done that to us, right? When I was reading Matthew 15, we worship with our mouth, our lips, honor, but our hearts are far from him. Man, what if God treated us like he did those two guys? Because he has the right to do that. I think it's quite beautiful to imagine the experience Moses had as he was in the presence of the true and living God. That presence descended upon him and he came into a greater knowledge of who God was. And I think that's a picture of what we're getting at today. Now, obviously, we aren't going to experience the physical manifestation of the divine presence in such an extraordinary way, but we can direct our hearts to him and to the awareness of his nearness to us, and this will have a lasting effect on how we think and how we live. But worship doesn't just impact the way we live. Worship is impacted itself by the way we live. What do I mean? Well, that's what this next example from Pastor Ed's talk shows us, that a life of obedience to God's commands are vital if our worship is to be pleasing to Him. 
1 Samuel 13, uh, I'll start in verse 8. Uh, then Saul waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. <laughs> and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? How would you answer in that moment if you're Saul? <laughs> what have you just done? And I think most of us would have said something very close to what Saul says. When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. In other words, Saul just basically defended himself. And maybe, you know, from a human standpoint, everything he says is sort of uh, justified, <laughs> really. I mean, he's in a difficult situation there. He's, he's got 3,000 men, and it said in verse 5 that the Philistines gathered together to fight Israel. They had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So Saul's got a little legitimate right to be <laughs> fearful here in that sense, <laughs> from a human standpoint. But he had an instruction. He had a word from the Lord. And that had to carry him in that moment. His faith in that had to be stronger than his fear of what he saw in the natural. And instead, you know, he went ahead and did what he thought best to do. And he offered the burnt offering and, and Samuel says to him, well, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And so we know how that story ends, right? Ultimately with David being that one. But you know that phrase, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. That's what stood out to me. That's what made it vain worship. Because it came out of a motive of just like some kind of compulsion, like I need the Lord's blessing, so I'm here and I'm going to do this thing that he prescribes to do. But what's the real heart? You know? And what's the point of all of that if you haven't obeyed the Lord first? If you have a command and you just blew it off and pushed it aside, what good is and a burnt offering going to do? What good is an appeal to God going to do? You're just trying to fix things yourself. It's no different than Adam and Eve putting on a fig leaf, trying to fix things themselves. Okay, so now we want to transition and look at sincere worship. What motivates it and what characterizes it? Now, one of the major themes that you're going to hear in these two examples is the humility 
that's present in the life of someone who truly worships the Lord. When a person humbles themselves before a holy God and is willing to exalt Him above themselves and all other things, then they will find that their worship brings them into communion, into intimacy with their Creator and their Father. So we have lots of examples of vain worship, but we do have some good examples of true worship as well. And hopefully that's where we're headed here tonight, that all of this will lead to true worship for us. And in John 4, we can see what true worship is pretty clearly. In verse uh, 23 and 24, while Jesus is talking to that woman at the well, this whole idea of worship comes up and she brings it up. So he says to her, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And just to make that practical for us, I'll give you two quick illustrations of true worship. One of the best examples actually is in the very first chapter of Job. You remember Job's situation, I hope, right? Like uh, things, man, talk about a bad day, right? Uh, I mean, he had a, a day unlike anything I think anyone in this room has probably ever experienced or ever likely would experience, right? The, the raiders came and took away his oxen, his donkeys, and those servants that were with them, and fire falls from heaven and consumes his sheep and the shepherds that are with them, and then several bands of raiders come and take his camels and all those servants, and then lastly this great wind blows and blows the house down where his seven sons and three daughters are gathered for a feast and kills all of his children and and it happens like one right after the other after the other after the other you don't even get time to recover emotionally from the first report and the second spokesman is there to deliver the next blow and then the next blow and then the fourth blow hits right and it's like it goes from bad to worse to worse to worse to unthinkable and then <laughs> Job says in verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. That's true worship. That's true worship. You want to know who God's seeking to worship him? There's a picture of it right there. A guy who can set aside the worst things that have happened in the natural realm and say, but God is good and he's bigger and better than all of that anyway. Do you remember how Jordan mentioned Isaiah 6? How Isaiah saw the holiness of God filling the temple? That paints a perfect picture of the humility present in a worshipful heart. And I also think it's that kind of a humble attitude that makes it possible for us, like Job, to praise God in times of suffering. It was Job's sight of God's holiness that led to praise in the midst of tragedy. 
And like Isaiah, he saw God's sovereignty and he saw his beauty and it made him throw aside his own thoughts on what was going on in his life and he simply glorified the Lord. Now, this last part of Pastor Ed's talk is probably the most impactful part of what he said that night. It really was the thing that drew our staff and students into worship. It takes this humility we're talking about just a step further. I think you'll understand what I mean as you listen. And another picture is in Mark 14, um, beginning in verse 3 in uh, Mark 14. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, Jesus sat at the table and a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. Wow. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done, this woman's worship, will also be told as a memorial to her. Talk about going against the flow, just like Job in her own way, right? She had to break all of the customs of the day as a woman to be doing what she was even doing. And she's getting criticism for it. The whole time she's doing it, the guy sitting next to her is going, stop it. She's getting badgered. Told to shut it down, stop this vain worship. And it turns out it's the true worship. I believe that we all have an alabaster flask inside of us. And there are at least three things in it, I believe. One is faith, another is hope, and another is love. And you can pour those out. You can pour those out on Jesus here tonight. And it would be the right and true and best worship and the right thing to do. I hope it's been clear today that Though singing and praise is certainly an obvious example of worship, that it's just one manifestation of something that goes much deeper. Whatever the expression of worship is, it should be flowing from a humble love for God, one that has seen his mercy and his sacrifice in the light of his glory and his justice. Jordan mentioned earlier that the testimonies in our chapel are a form of worship in our services. I don't think we think of testimonies that way too often in church, but I can't think of anything better to end this episode with. So, here's the testimony of RJ on the night he graduated the Pure Life Ministries residential program. I was raised in a Christian home with two loving and godly parents. At age five, I made a profession of faith in the Lord and was baptized five years later at age 10. 
That same time, I discovered self-gratification. My first exposure to pornography was around age 13 by watching a video game. My mind became hooked. For the next several weeks, I would secretly stay up long into the night watching pornography. At the end of those weeks, God brought such a sense of shame and conviction onto my soul that I confessed to my parents and they began to try to help me. Despite their best efforts and God continually putting up walls to stop me, I continued in my sin for 10 years. I convinced myself that I was some kind of Christian superhero with a tragic flaw, righteous in my own eyes, all the while lying, lusting, and perverting everything that came around me. My junior year of college, God brought into my life a godly woman that I would eventually propose to. The entire time we were engaged, I was still in my sin. God brought conviction through my parents, and I confessed my addiction. She was devastated, broke off our engagement, and demanded that I get help. This should have been enough, but instead of turning from my sin, I began to manipulate her in a desperate attempt to hold on to what I saw as the only good thing in my life, all the while plunging deeper into sin. Eventually, I lost all motivation, goals, or hope of ever being free. I wanted nothing but my sin, yet was miserable beyond belief. God in his mercy, let me hit rock bottom and gave me the motivation to find a place to go. He brought the memory of an obscure conversation from almost two years before about some place in Kentucky, and I arrived at Pure Life a little over a month later in October of 2020. He sovereignly put me into situations that would stretch me the most and bring out every layer of the real me. He blessed me with a counselor that I can describe as a spear to the heart. <laughs> I considered it open-heart surgery. Through those sessions, God brought out the depths of my depravity, my uncontrollable false humility, and my sheer terror of men. The hardest thing was God revealing to me that it was unlikely I ever really knew him and was completely self-deceived. God was not content to leave me here. After almost six months of work, God used the book, Love Not the World by Watchman Nee to show me true faith and lead me for the first time into a real relationship with him. God is so good. Through the program, God has used every moment to bring me closer to him and to mature me. He has showed me that no matter how wicked or depraved I had become, he died for me and would wash it all away. He proved there is nothing too dark for the cross. He gave me strength to come forward with unconfessed sin. He showed me what it meant to walk in the light even though I was afraid of consequences. God showed me most of all that I cannot put him in a box. His ways are higher than mine and his weakness is stronger than my strength. He has freed me from self-love and given me something far greater, himself. Have you seen your great need to worship the Lord from a sincere heart today? Just reflecting on this episode and figuring out what to say as the host has really convicted me personally. It's so easy to become distracted throughout the day. And maybe I listen to some praise music or I think about spiritual things as part of my job, but my mind becomes so distracted from God and I quickly lose that heart of worship that comes from knowing and loving Him. I forget so easily the sinful life I was in and what he's done to change me and to set me free. 
I lose sight of the cross and his love and lose that sincere heart of worship. So, those of you who've been set free, who were once in darkness and have seen Christ bring you into the light, join me in recommitting to God our love and devotion to him. And you know, I didn't even realize until the end of producing this episode that this will be our first episode of 2022. So I promise I wasn't trying to make that sound like a New Year's resolution, but it does kind of seem fitting. So I'll leave it at that and simply say, Happy New Year's, and may God bless you and keep you in the days and months to come. Thanks for joining us. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.